Welcome to the Full Fact Podcast, where we fight bad information one fact at a time. I'm Alexis Conran, and on this episode, we'll be looking into the psychology of conspiracies. From the moon landing being a hoax to the queen being a reptile, conspiracy theories are everywhere. But with the advent of social media, it's never been easier for them to be shared. But why do people believe in them? What is it about certain people that makes them more susceptible to these stories? And can they be convinced otherwise once they've been told that they are not true? I'm Alexis Conran, and to try and answer some of these questions, we'll be joined by psychology professor Karen Douglas. But before that, I have full fact editor Tom Phillips with me. Tom, what sort of conspiracy theories are you encountering most at Full Fact? Well, I mean, right now, you'll be astonished to learn it's a lot of stuff about coronavirus. Uh, not, su- right. not, not surprising. <laughs> not a surprise. But uh, this is something that we've said before, is the because this is such a huge, overwhelming news event, such a dramatic change to all of our lives, it's kind of acted as a magnet for lots of different pre-existing conspiracy theories. And so, you know, the belief that uh, 5G technology is malign in some way, that got attracted and attached on to coronavirus. And of course, we saw that, you know, earlier uh, in the year when sort of, you know, there were arson attacks against phone masks and things like that. You know, obviously, vaccine scepticism, that's really come through and that's going to increase the closer we get to a possible hypothetical vaccine. We're starting to see, you know, hints that sort of the QAnon conspiracy theory, it's not even a conspiracy theory on its own. It's a sort of an umbrella group of conspiracy theories at this point. We're starting to see more and more hints of that coming in the UK. Of course, it began in the US. And so we're seeing this sort of situation where possibly because of the coronavirus, is that lots of different conspiracy theories and the people who believe them have started to cross over and they're kind of blending and mixing in interesting and concerning ways. Is COVID-19 almost like a spark for the age-old conspiracy theories which are sort of waiting in the shadows and go, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll get in on this. Yeah, 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 we'll associate ourselves with a bit of coronavirus because it's all tied in together with this sort of massive plot or plan to control us all. I mean, I think it's extraordinarily fertile ground for conspiracy theories for a couple of reasons. One, fear of contamination, fear of... Uh, infection is one of the primal fears that drives humans to believe things like this and has done for centuries, you know, all the way back through history, we see this. And also, it really plays to this thing that we have, where we don't believe that major dramatic events can have small, random causes. If something is big and dramatic, then it has to have a big dramatic cause. The fact that all of this could have happened simply because one infinitesimal virus hopped from a bat to a pangolin, maybe, to a human, whatever exactly how it happened, and all of that was random and invisible, and that it's had this effect, that's hard to believe. Big things have to have big causes. And so it really plays into to that very human want to explain things. Thank you, Tom. As always, uh, let's move on to our guest for this episode, which is Professor of Social Psychology at the University of Kent, Karen Douglas. Thanks for talking to us, Professor, and giving us your time. No worries. Thank you very much for inviting me. Are we living in the golden age of conspiracy theories? Do you know there's no real evidence to suggest that we are? Um, I think that um, at least in terms of the psychology of conspiracy theories, we're all predisposed to believe in conspiracy theories at one particular time or another. 
um, according to various things that are happening to us. But of course, we're living in a very, very difficult time at the moment and conspiracy theories do seem more prominent than ever. And also um, the way we communicate now on social media, um, it seems that conspiracy theories are much more visible than ever. But I think that we're all prone to believe conspiracy theories in general at any point in time. What is it that's unique about conspiracy theories? Why do they differ from any other sort of story or narrative? A conspiracy theory is unique in that it assumes that there are a group of people and they're acting in secret, um, typically to achieve some kind of sinister goal. So that's kind of what sets a conspiracy theory apart from a general theory about anything else that is happening. There's, a, there's, there's some kind of conspiracy, there's something being covered up, um, there's some people that we can't trust. Why do people find that so attractive? Um, well, I think conspiracy theories are just inherently interesting. They're quite entertaining. They propose these novel explanations that are not mundane at all. If you think about, like most events, there'll be an official explanation about something that's happened, and it might seem a little bit boring or just not quite satisfactory enough. So I think that Conspiracy theories are naturally interesting to everybody because they are um, they're proposing something a little bit exciting um, and big that kind of matches the level of the event itself. But in terms of the psychology of conspiracy theories, we'd argue that some people are drawn to them more than others. Um, and this is specifically the case when people have particular psychological needs that are not being met when they um, are reading about your typical everyday or official type of explanation. And the first of these needs we would call um, epistemic needs, so the need for sort of knowledge and certainty. And, and you find that people might be drawn to conspiracy theories when um, this particular need is threatened and p people feel quite uncertain. I guess they don't feel that they have the truth, they're looking for something else. But this uncertainty is a very aversive state and people want to look, they want to find something that helps them cope with that. And the second kinds of needs we would call existential needs, and that is the need to feel sort of safe and secure, but also in control of the things that are happening to you. And one, uh, well, one line of research in psychology suggests that people who feel powerless and out of control are more likely to go for conspiracy theories. They're more likely to look for them. They're more likely to believe them. So again, this is a psychological need that's not being met that people want to basically have fixed. And um, finally, just very briefly, the third set of needs we would call social needs. So people want to feel good about themselves and the groups that they belong to as well. Conspiracy theories might make people feel that this particular need is being satisfied because they, conspiracy theories that is, allow people to feel that they have knowledge that other people don't have. So for, say, a narcissistic person, they might feel particularly good about themselves because they suddenly know a lot more than other people do and they can feel good about themselves. So those three main psychological drivers tend to attract people to conspiracy theories, which is why I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier that we're all prone to conspiracy theories. That is because we're all prone to having these psychological needs challenged or frustrated in different circumstances. And how much do conspiracy theories thrive when we can't make sense 
of events around us because it seems to me that we are not very good at handling uh, events that are either too complicated or complex to understand simply without years of knowledge, so perhaps economical issues, for example, the, the way banking on the markets work. So we'll, we'll reach for a simpler explanation, which might handily fit into a conspiracy theory. But also we're, we're not satisfied, are we, as human beings, when the explanation is simple or slightly illogical? Yeah, that's right. People do... Um prefer explanations for events that are proportional to the event itself. So if something massive happens, say for the situation that we're in right now with with COVID-19, it doesn't seem to be satisfactory to many people that this is something that just happened to happen, happened to evolve or, you know, come out um, of a wet market in, in China in a natural kind of way. People don't think that that is possible because it's too big an event. So they're looking for an explanation that matches the importance of that event. Um, and this kind of relates back to this this epistemic need. They want to have the knowledge and they want to have the truth, but they feel like the information that's being given to them by the officials is not good enough. It's not. It doesn't match what they think should be an explanation um, for that type of event. Do you also think that conspiracy theories recently have been bolstered with the use of perhaps doctored videos, audio, photographic evidence? Do you think that the conspiracy theories have become sort of stronger and more bulletproof as time has gone by? I think that um, the way that we communicate now and all of those factors that you've just talked about can make things worse and potentially within some communities they might make things worse. But I think that one of the main things about the way that people communicate on social media is that they tend to look for information that already confirms what they already believe and disregard information that doesn't match what they already believe. So that conspiracy believers or people who are inclined to look for these sorts of explanations might be... um, more likely to find those sorts of sources. They might be more likely to find those doctored videos or those pieces of misinformation, those memes that communicate conspiracy theories so that their attitudes might become stronger. It doesn't necessarily mean that more people will believe these conspiracy theories, but the people who already do might start to believe them more strongly, which can be quite dangerous, obviously. And um, perhaps people who aren't looking for them in the first place they won't find them, so they still won't be affected by this material. They'll still reject it if someone sends it to them. Do you think also we have the element of trust? We're seeing trust being eroded for uh, traditional media outlets, uh, politicians. Is this also a contributing factor that people are not sitting down to watch the 10 o'clock news and go, OK, well, fine, I'll, I'll believe that. That's, that's, that's why things are happening around me. And they're actually looking for... Other avenues to explain what what is happening around them, and as you just said, things that fit into their their biases. Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, without doubt, trust in in any kind of authority is declining. Trust in scientists is declining. Trust in experts generally is declining. And that lack of trust, a general a generalized mistrust that's like a mistrust in everything, is definitely associated with an increased belief in conspiracy theories. So the less people are likely to trust these sources, the more likely they are to opt for conspiracy theories. So trust is definitely a very, very important factor and yeah, definitely a significant driver of belief in conspiracy theories. 
now and probably always. What are the psychological principles behind an effective conspiracy theory? What what does it have to get right in order to to be carried, um, not just through social media, but to be spread and be widely talked about and believed? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think that that's something that um, we as psychologists and other researchers in other disciplines as well really ought to try to learn a little bit more about, because I think that one of the main ways that you can Um, I guess, try and stop a conspiracy theory from taking hold and becoming potentially dangerous is to understand what makes what makes a good conspiracy theory. But it's relatively unknown, um, but a very interesting question, because, of course, some conspiracy theories stand the test of time, whereas others last on Twitter for a couple of days and then no one talks about them ever again. Um, There are certain strategies that have been uncovered, and one of them is to simply just ask questions. So instead of trying to turn an official explanation upside down and tear it apart and talk about why it's not true and and introduce new evidence and all of those sorts of things, you can just simply say, well, I don't know if I really trust this piece of information. I don't really like like how this looks and um, I'm just asking questions about about this event like do we really know what happened so someone like David Icke for example for mm-hmm. with his conspiracy theories is it something that he has got right does it have to do with having a charismatic uh, if you can call him that a charismatic leader to promote a conspiracy theory or, or is it something else that that makes conspiracy theory gain so much traction hmm. yeah that's really interesting I, I have to say I, I I don't really know the answer to that question I think there's probably many many reasons um, or many, many factors that make a conspiracy theory and a person who shares conspiracy theories more successful. I mean, in the case of David Icke, he already had quite a, he was already a very popular public figure um, and people trusted him. So it might have been relatively easy for him to get people on board because he already had a already had a following. Others, it might be a little bit more difficult, but certainly charismatic leaders, um, people who already have some credibility in a particular community. For example, we're seeing a lot of celebrities at the moment who are talking about um, uh, vaccines and promoting anti-vax viewpoints. These people are being listened to because they are well known and people trust them. So I suspect there's other those sorts of things going on as well. For people who don't buy into conspiracy theories, they tend to brush them aside and not regard them as seriously harmful. They don't really take them seriously because they say, well, look, the facts are out there. So these theories should just collapse in on themselves. But they don't. Why is that? Yeah, they don't, I guess, because a lot of people will disregard the evidence that they're presented with that debunks the conspiracy theory or refutes the conspiracy theory simply because they don't trust the people who are telling them this information. So they don't trust the scientists when scientists talk about climate change. Um, they don't trust them when, when they talk about vaccines or COVID-19. Any information that they receive can be perceived as being part of the conspiracy as well, which is, which is something that does happen quite often if you go in to refute a conspiracy theory, state why you think that that is not true and present evidence. Something that people do is is basically say, well, you must be just part of the conspiracy. Otherwise, why would you be saying this? I can't trust you either. 
So um, a lot of it just really boils down to trust in, in the experts. So it's a, it's a real challenge for the fact checkers because um, a lot of the people who believe in conspiracy theories don't really trust anybody. Well, that's interesting because we've actually got Tom Phillips, the full fact editor here, and through his fact-checking work, he's been accused of being part of a uh, conspiracy more than once, Tom. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, if you look at our Twitter mentions on any day, you'll see us being accused of being part of conspiracies from the right and the left simultaneously. You know, you'll go on to the radio talking about 5G and whether or not it, it caused coronavirus and, and saying it didn't cause coronavirus. And, and I believe someone rang up the station to say that the reason I was doing this is because we received funding from Vodafone. Now... Yes, we did receive a small amount of money, £35,000 from Vodafone the other year uh, to fund our automated fact-checking work. But um, no, we're not actually covering up the 5G conspiracy because Vodafone paid us a small amount of our budget. So I suppose, Karen, with a lot of these conspiracists, they're in so deep that if they were to accept that they're wrong, their whole worldview would have to collapse. Yeah, absolutely. Once a person believes something very, very strongly, which is often the case with conspiracy beliefs, there is this deep mistrust and the conspiracy belief can become very, very strong. It's it's very difficult to challenge that person because it often is a worldview. Believe in one conspiracy theory, it's often the case that a person will believe in another one and another one. So it does become sometimes for some people, um, an all-consuming way of looking at the world. You can't trust anybody. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's just that's just who you are. But I think that there, there are potentially some ways to get through to people. And I think that one way, and I don't have any evidence to support this, unfortunately, is that these are just my musings based on social psychology in other other areas of social psychology, I think that one one way in might be to appeal to people's desire for critical thinking or the importance of critical thinking to them because a lot of people who believe conspiracy theories and share them quite strongly believe that they are critical thinkers. So they're the ones that are defending the truth. They're the ones that are finding the evidence and the information that uncovers these nasty things that are going on in society. So they know the truth. Other people don't. And they've They've got this truth because they have been critical thinkers and they've dissected all of the evidence. But often um, the evidence that they found is from non-credible sources, non-trustworthy sources. So if you talk to the person and ask them to critically evaluate the sources of the information that they, they're using um, and ask them to uh, well, basically ask themselves questions about whether or not this is a trustworthy source is this somewhere where I should be getting information? Contrast this with the information that people are receiving who don't believe the conspiracy theories. And perhaps that might enable the person to correct um, their information-seeking behaviour. So in other words, if they really look at those sources critically, they might find out that those are not the best sources to find information from. And then when they start looking elsewhere, they will no longer find the conspiracy theories. So that might be some way to, I guess, help a person through stopping um, believing in conspiracy theories and looking for them in the first place. Maybe this is sort of uh, fanciful thinking from my behalf, maybe from my, my scamming days. But is there a way of sort of infiltrating conspiracy theories and almost using the same psychology which makes conspiracy theories attractive to steer people into the right path? So 
if we know that most conspiracy theorists will reject any sort of expert that is a uh, well-received expert, a, a mainstream media expert, then if you take the same information and you dress it up as... as um, uh, slightly underground, something that's been just discovered, something that's been shared, you know, uh, amongst the conspiracy theorists. Would that work as a sort of a, a psychological ploy to make that same information a little bit more attractive? Would that work? Would that give them that feeling of superiority that they know something that the general public doesn't? It, it, that's a very plausible explanation. Again, something I've never <laughs> tried or know anything about. Can we try it? Please, let's try it. <laughs> but, you know, in, in theory, that kind of thing could work. Um, another, still, a challenge would be to get the person to even entertain information that is contrary to what they already think. Yeah. So if this information comes in, however it's dressed up, if it's different to what the person already believes then it would still be a challenge to get them to um, change their minds, I think. What are some of the most bizarre conspiracy theories that you have come across in your career uh, of looking into these theories as a social psychologist? To be honest, I'm interested in all of them. I think they're, they're all fascinating for one reason or another. You scratch the surface, you can usually find some problem with them. But um, yeah, utterly fascinating Probably the one that, that does baffle me the most is the flat earth conspiracy theory. So the idea that the earth is flat and that we are being fed information that is not true from NASA and various others. Um, for what reason, I don't know. But I find that really quite fascinating. I don't really understand. And I'm from Australia and many people believe that, that Australia doesn't exist um, according if you're a flat earther, <laughs> this country doesn't exist. And anybody who's been there is is part of it <laughs> well because australia's fallen off the edge well it never existed in the first place and that anybody who says that they come from there or has visited there is in on the conspiracy so i think that's bizarre i just don't i can't get my head around that and finally what would be the best way to deal with a friend who believes in conspiracy theories mm. it's it's very very difficult i think um, i mean i mentioned earlier that once a person believes in something very very strongly it's difficult to get them to think otherwise and I think that appealing to this idea of critical thinking that I mentioned a, a bit earlier as well is is something that could work to help get somebody out of that way of thinking some other things will will backfire I think like um, being very very hostile to the person and making fun of them that's probably not going to be very effective and it's not very nice either you don't really want to do that to somebody that you like um, or you're trying to help those sorts of tactics are not likely to work because the person is probably already feeling quite lonely, um, alienated. They already think that their ideas are different to everybody else's. So going in with that kind of hostility and ridicule is probably not something that's going to be very effective. But um, most definitely, I think appealing to the importance of critical thinking to them personally and talking to them about the sources of information that they're getting Talk, like talking to them and listening to what they have to say, going in with strong and consistent counter-arguments, all of those sorts of tactics, I, I think are likely to meet with some success. One would hope. Uh, Professor, thank you so much for giving us your time. This episode was released on the 9th of November 2020 and all information was up to date as of that time. If the Earth has been proven to be flat in the subsequent time, we profusely apologise. 
Karen Douglas is an expert in her field, but her views are not necessarily a reflection of full fact. Full fact is independent and impartial. And you can read more about our commitment to neutrality at fullfact.org forward slash about. As a fact-checking charity, we depend on your support to call out false and harmful information. If you enjoyed this episode, become a supporter today at fullfact.org slash donate.